This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. So this was the UFC's 25th anniversary show, and they took it back to its roots by going back to the place where it all started in Colorado. The main event was Chan Sung Jung versus Yair Rodriguez. The co-main was Donald Cerrone versus Mike Perry. Korean Zombie versus Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, which went all five rounds, surprisingly. Yeah, I think that's the first fight that Korean Zombie has been involved where he went all five rounds. He's been in five round fights, but it's never gone that long. Did this set the record for buzzer beater? I don't have the stat off the top of my head, but I'm almost positive it does. So if you didn't watch the fight, it ended up with the Korean Zombie winning the fight on the scorecards leading into the fifth round. And in the fifth round, he looked like he had it in the bag. And literally in the final second, Right before the buzzer, El Pantera knocks him out with an elbow. And if the Korean zombie was even a little bit awake, he would have won the fight. But he was completely out. He had to be helped up. And eventually he walked out on his own volition with just a little bit of help from his cornerman. But you could tell even he was shocked at how it unfolded. Because that's not an angle you prepare for. So just to give a little bit of background on this fight, it was originally supposed to be Frankie Edgar versus Korean Zombie. But with Edgar injured, they had three weeks to find a replacement and Yair Rodriguez stepped up. It's important to note that because it took place in Denver, the fighters are competing at elevation, which is notoriously tough to begin with. And especially for someone coming in short notice, I think credit should go where credit is due because he could have easily said no. And just to give a little bit of a technical analysis, Zombie does a thing where he will plot forward, have good strikes, especially within the one twos. His bag of tricks consists of that long uppercut as well as kicks in the midsection. And he was doing a good job, but it was one of those things where Pantera just had a little bit more tools in the bag as far as diversity of strikes and kicks. And early on, he hurt Zombie with kicks to the leg, where it seemed to kind of buckle him early. Pantera also mentioned that in the first round, he hurt his foot. And it might explain why he wasn't as explosive, but it could also be because he's combating the elevation fatigue and he wanted to reserve his gas tank in case it went all five rounds. And he was right. Right off the bat, Yair Rodriguez was targeting the Korean zombie's knee, which he just had reconstructed. And that's part of the reason why Korean zombie was out for so long. And Korean zombie has only had a few fights in the UFC, even though he's such a household name and been around for so long because he had to take breaks because of military service and then because of shoulder injury and knee injury. So you could hear coach Izzy Martinez yelling for him to target the knee, to take out the knee, which is legal in the UFC, but that's how the fight started with low-line sidekicks to 
the Korean zombie's lead leg and kicks like lower leg calf kick to back of the knee kicks to the Korean zombie, which was really wobbling his leg at the first round. And one of the things that Korean zombie changed after he got knocked out against George Roop is he stopped trying to be just what he was before. How he got his nickname was he would just walk forward and just start attacking like a zombie and forget about defenses. And he tried that against George Roop and George Roop knocked him out. And Korean Zombie, after that fight, vowed he wasn't going to be like that anymore. He's, he was going to be a more thoughtful fighter. So what happened was he developed more of a modified zombie style where he's still not that great at defense and he'll still charge forward, but he'll just kind of stand there a little bit more instead of pushing forward or he'll back up and just observe and try to get some reads. And then he'll try to set up counters. So he's become more of a counter fighter over the years. He's not the best counter-striker, allowing the other person to lead, but he's become effective as becoming a more thoughtful zombie. And he did that a lot in this fight. Actually, they both did. I think Yair had to do it to conserve his energy, but they there was a lot of moments where they just both stood there staring at each other, getting reads, and just taking turns hitting each other. And it was more like, your turn to hit me, my turn to hit you, you walk forward, I walk forward. There wasn't a lot of lateral movement or angling, or really good footwork. It was one of those things that reminded me of those tie fights where I hit you, you hit me. And there were three main weapons that I thought Zombie used really well. One was his jab, second was his straight, and third was his uppercuts. And you could tell he was a very meat and potatoes type of striker, but with even those three strikes, he was able to hurt Yair by varying the timing of it, making sure that he does it when Yair had his defenses down. And Yair, to his credit, was able to always keep Jung guessing by going up and down, not so much side to side, but you never knew exactly what type of kicks he would throw. And I wonder if Zombie had more time to prepare. He technically lives in a country that's full of stylists with Yair's background who could probably do the things Yair does better. So would he have been more prepared or was it... With the change in opponent, he just had to figure out, okay, well, I already prepared for Edgar. I'll just make some slight adjustments to deal with more of a dynamic kicker than a wrestler boxer. Yeah, because I think when it got switched to Yair, Zombie was already in the U.S. acclimating. So he didn't have all these Korean Taekwondo black belts in the pocket for him to train with. He had to work with whatever he had. They're both not that great defensively. It became an exciting fight because they were just both beating each other up with Zombie getting ahead because of the cleaner punches. And after the first round, Yair started losing a lot of steam on his kicks. But Yair is also a guy where I don't know how far he's going to make it because the things he's good at, he's really good at. And he's also very unusual, which is hard to train for. But there's also a lot of things he's very bad at. Now, In a previous episode, I said I wasn't that impressed with Israel Adesanya. But even with that said, he's still a great fighter. And you compare Israel to Yair and you could see how different they are in that they have similarities in their offense and the risks they take and their kicking game. But Israel is far better defensively than Yair, whereas Yair is relying more on his speed and just backing up for his defense. Yeah, one of the things that 
I think cost Yair the fight, especially early on, was the fact that when Zombie would attack instead of ducking under and pivoting, which is typically what someone like Edgar or Aldo would do, he would just back straight up into the fence and he had nowhere else to go. So when Zombie tried to attack him afterwards, Yair had less time to move and prepare for kicks because he knew that if he threw a kick and then he was backed off, he wouldn't be able to attack right away. Yeah, Yair is kind of like an Anthony Pettis or a Rashad Evans where he always ends up hitting the fence and he never realizes how close he is to the fence. So Yair still has a lot of these defensive problems. And I hope he doesn't make the same mistake as some of the other fighters like Anthony Pettis where instead of fixing his footwork and his angling, he just tries to fix his wrestling. And that's not the only problem. Actually, his wrestling and his scrambles look good in this fight. His footwork didn't. Yeah, it's one of those things that Frankie took full advantage of because he would march forward, wait until Yair threw a panic kick, and then when he was on one leg and not at full balance, he would charge him, push him against the fence, beat him up. He didn't always have to take him down every round. He just needed to let Yair know that you're in trouble. I'm not going to take you down yet. And then when he felt like it, or when the opportune time came, he went for the takedown. And Yair, his grappling, like you said, reminds me a lot of Anthony Pettis, where it's like a bag of tricks, where he does certain sweeps and he goes for certain moves. But outside of those two things, he's kind of stuck on the ground and he's just waiting for it to be stood up. That final elbow that Yair caught him with, he was setting that up throughout the whole fight. And he had already previously caught an elbow. And there was a bunch of times where he was looking for that same elbow. So he was getting a read of that. My frustration with a lot of the Korean fighters is that they are too predictable. And their opponent gets a read and it's like, oh, you're going to do that over and over? Okay, this is my counter for you over and over then. And the same thing with Korean Zombie. But I will also say this is one of the rare fights where I saw two fighters landing punches exactly at the same time over and over also. However, Zombie was only throwing punches, whereas... Yair was mixing it up. So, of course, Zombie's going to land more punches, which is shown in the stats. But if you listen to the commentary, Paul Felder was very high on Yair throughout the fight. And then the play-by-play announcer said, actually, Korean Zombie is outstriking him. And then Paul Felder felt like, oh, okay, I should talk more about Korean Zombie so I don't sound so biased. But Paul Felder is a fighter. So why I think he had the bias towards Yair, even though Yair was losing, was that he saw that Yair was picking up on Korean Zombie's predictability. So every time Korean Zombie threw a straight, Yair had an answer. Every time Korean Zombie stepped forward with a jab, he had an answer. He was just getting tired, and Korean Zombie was just willing to walk through it to hit him more, but Yair was starting to figure him out. With that said, with that elbow, it could have just as well have missed. It wasn't like it was going to land every time. But that was something that he saw as a weakness in Korean Zombie for a while. And it just happened to work at that last stanza. Which was partially caused by Yair stalling a little bit at the end. And Korean Zombie felt like he was running out of time to really close out the show strong. And he just started running towards him face first and got knocked out. Similar to the same way he got knocked out against George Roop. When Yair got hit the most, it was when he was going straight back. This time when he caught Zombie clean, 
he stood his ground, buckled down, and he threw that elbow from below, which reminded me a lot of what Tony Ferguson would have done. And that's the second time he caught that elbow. The first time, Korean Zombie just ate it like it was nothing. Right. That's why I was so surprised that that elbow knocked him out like that because Korean Zombie was eating all of his strikes and head kicks and walked through it like not even stunned. But that one, I guess, just hit the button. I think he was already going down because it looked like he was trying to also go for a takedown at the same time, but missed. And then his jaw was perfectly open. He had nothing else to brace for it. So he took it flush on the chin. As opposed to the first time when Yair threw that spinning elbow, he still had his neck, his shoulders, and his back to brace for it. But this time around, he didn't. He's just a straight-on fighter where he just moves forward and back. There's not a lot of angling that I saw. Which works well sometimes when he pauses, gets a read like he did against Bermudez, and he lands that uppercut. And he was landing that uppercut against Yair also. But Yair has an incredible chin. He was Yair was also walking through all of Korean Zombie's punches. So you had two really hard-headed guys, both poor defenses. One guy's winning on points, but the other guy is getting better reads of the other guy's predictable attacks. And it just ended up Yair knocking out Korean Zombie. Now, if they had a series of fights like Korean Zombie did with, like he did with Leonard Garcia, where they fought twice, who knows how it'll go. It's going to be one of those fights where it might go either way because, not because of their strengths, but because of their weaknesses. They both have the same weaknesses. And Korean Zombie had that same problem with Leonard Garcia, where they're both all offense guys who are bad at defense. And when you have that, yeah, you have a fun fight where people are punching without blocking. And you also saw that with Jacare versus Chris Weidman, where they were both poor defensively and just rock em, sock em robot fighting until one of them got knocked out. So where would you think Zombie goes from here? He's probably really injured in some way and he'll be out again for another two years. I think what would help Yair Rodriguez a lot is maybe spending some time at a camp and working on his footwork and his boxing. Because it's easy as a striker to think, I got the striking part down, I just need to work on everything else. But I think he also has flaws in his striking that needs to get covered up. That'll improve his wrestling, and that'll make it even harder for him to get taken down. The person that comes immediately to mind is actually his last opponent before Zombie, which is Frankie Edgar. Because Frankie Edgar mixes in boxing and wrestling very well. And say what you want about him, his footwork is very good as far as his ring craft goes. But if for whatever reason... Obviously, a future rematch is on the horizon. Yair might benefit from getting looks from TJ Dillashaw and Dwayne Ludwig because those guys are also very good at crafting offensive striking with wrestling and mixing the two very seamlessly. So that might be an interesting matchup. And TJ gets to work with someone bigger, lankier, with flashier kicks. And Yair gets a chance to work with better wrestlers who might be able to give him fits on the ground so he can adjust accordingly but doesn't have to worry about getting the grind beaten constantly by bigger wrestlers what do you think korean zombie needs to improve because he's shown frustration in fights where he rushes forward he's shown times where he's willing to fight offensively minded while throwing defense completely out the window and he's also been very predictable where he'll keep doing the same thing over and over I think, at least for Korean Zombie, he might benefit the most from adopting a style similar to Robert Whittaker. 
where Whitaker also has very meat and potato type striking, but because he varies it with timing, distance, and disrupting your rhythm, he's able to land it more consistently. So it's common for him to pump out a jab at half speed, then full speed, low power to full power. And it catches people off guard because they have no idea. So for people like Zombie who have limited weapons, if you're able to stretch that weapon out, you might find more success. And I think it might be closer than coming stateside because the trip from Korea to Australia, it might be easier for him to go back and forth and get that type of training. The thing about Korean fighters, just like the Japanese fighters, they're still way behind the American fighters and the Brazilian fighters. And it makes sense because America and Brazil, they had mixed martial arts much longer than Korea and Japan had. Being able to understand Korean, whenever I listen to the corners, they still kind of do that old school cornering that you used to hear maybe 10 years ago, where it's just more motivational. Keep pushing forward. Come on, come on. Go, go, go. Instead of giving detailed instructions of what to do exactly, Korea is still at that level. So just kind of encouraging the fighters to rush in, just throwing ones and twos. So I don't think it's just a problem for Korean zombie. I think it's a problem for Korean MMA in general. It's a national crisis. (laughs) Let's move on to the co-main event. It was Donald Cerrone versus Mike Perry. And there's some drama there because they were both training out of Jackson Wink for a while. And classic to Jackson Wink. There was some drama and a falling apart. And now Donald Cerrone is no longer with Jackson Wink. And now he's running his own camps. And it was a very short fight with Donald Cerrone arm barring Mike Perry in the first round. I think people forget because Cowboy has fashioned himself as a striker over the past few years that he's still very dangerous on the ground. And if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. So Mike Perry was able to defend submissions in the initial get-go, but he hung around too long in Cowboy's guard. You hang around long enough, I'll catch you in something. And that's exactly what Cowboy did. It's been a long time since I saw somebody defend the armbar by picking the opponent up and then trying to slam them and then just end up in a belly-down armbar. I haven't seen that since like the early UFC. So it's poignant that this was the 25th anniversary show because this fight looked like a very early UFC where one guy doesn't know jujitsu and the other guy does. And you could see that Mike Perry wasn't that good on the ground, even in his fight against Paul Felder. And so I don't know if his move to Jackson Wink is going to help a fighter like Mike Perry that much. In fact, I could see how they can make him worse. Also, his previous camp, which was Fusion XL, was actually a grappling-oriented camp. So they had him put on the gi and learn jiu-jitsu. And I think he was either a blue belt or a purple belt, but he was still kind of learning. And now he's left that and just working MMA only. And I think that's also part of the reason why he has so many holes in his grappling game, because that is something that you have to work on independently because there's so many things to cover. And you could say the same thing with striking. It's kind of like you got to get both to an excellent level and then you can start putting it together by just training MMA. I liked how Cowboy looked in this fight because he shot in more takedowns. He was able to work the body of Perry. And even when he was in side control, he didn't panic. 
he just knew that, okay, just from feeling where Mike Perry is distributing his weight and his energy, he's already tired. I'll just wait until he makes a technical mistake. And instead of using a bump to get back into half guard or full guard, he just decided, oh, he's really tired. And he just rolled him over. Now that he's left Jackson Wink, do you think we'll see some improvements? Or is he just in a maintenance mode now that he's training himself? It'll be interesting to see who else he brings into the BMF camp. If they can help with his issues regarding being a slow starter. Maybe he won't be as outsized by the Darren Tills of the welterweight division. Because at lightweight, he was always a pretty sizable lightweight. But he never wake up properly, according to him. He just kind of did it by the seat of his pants. And then when it got too much, he decided to move up and he felt better. But he might have decided optimally. If I get with the people at the UFC PI who can help guide me through a proper weight cut and make sure that I stay within range year round, I could actually make a go of this. And where do you see Mike Perry's career going? Do you see him becoming a contender at 170 or he stays a mid-carder, has fun fights, but never makes it to the upper echelon? I think Mike Perry has the skill to be a contender, but it just really depends on how much his trainers are able to mold him during the training phase and how much of that he's able to execute under the bright lights. Because Mike Perry has always shown flashes of brilliance and he's strong as fuck. But he's not the smartest fighter. He's a very dumb fighter. That's why he can't maintain those flashes of brilliance because those happen by accident. Yeah, but you could accidentally find your way to a title shot. It doesn't mean you could repeat the performance. Lightning might not strike twice, but you could do it the first time around. Depending on where the 170-pound division is. Yeah, he can get matched up with fun fights, build up a decent win streak, and then fight for a title because there's still enough fun matchups for him as long as he doesn't get pit against the Ben Askrens of the world. If he fought Robbie Lawler, and Lawler is, I don't want to say on his way down, but he's been in some wars, Perry can get lucky and boom, he has a win over a former champion. So it's one of those things where matchup wise, he could find his way lucking himself into a title shot, but ultimately lose to the Tyron Woodleys of the world. Yeah, there is that thing in MMA where you could become a contender, even though maybe you're not that good because as previous contenders are kind of dropping off and just aging before our eyes, you just start taking them out on your way up. And then it looks like you're a world beater, but it was more like you weren't doing things so great. It was more like somebody like Wonderboy, maybe he takes too much damage. And when he fights Mike Perry, he's beating him up. And then Mike Perry lands a glancing punch and it puts him out. And same thing that Mike Perry might be able to do against Robbie Lawler. Just too much damage for those previous contenders. Yeah, I don't want to pick on Anthony Smith, but he took out Rashad, Shogun, and Volkan. Arguably, the first two are on the way down with Rashad retiring and Shogun looking worse for the wear as time goes on. But it's one of those things where, yeah, he is probably next in line to challenge for the belt after the John jones Gustafson rematch if DC decides to take his time and fight Brock Lesnar. But it's not necessarily because Anthony Smith is the next big thing. It's just, well, he's just put himself in the right position by taking fights where he beat guys up when they were on their way down. I think that's the same thing we're going to see with Israel Adesanya, where he's going to get to a title fight, where those really strong wrestlers that could have given him problems, like a Chris Weidman or whoever, 
are just old now and just aren't as durable as they were. So he could pick them off as they're on their way out. And then he could, you know, he could conceivably be champion for a while until the next crop of good young fighters are experienced enough with good wrestling and good striking. And that might even take years. So a lot of MMA success has to do with timing. Are you coming in at the right time? It's almost like the economy. How well you do sometimes depends on what year you graduated. Was it during a recession? Was it during a time of economic growth? And it's the same thing right now where Israel Adesanya is blowing up while there's a poverty of good talent in the 185-pound division. But with that said, UFC just signed undefeated one champion, Ben Askren. Where do you see him in the 170-pound division? He's made it public that he won't fight Tyron for the belt. So he could be put in that position where he beats everyone else and then he just takes his time and waits until either Tyron moves up or the 165-pound class is created because he's better suited for that than Tyron, who's better suited for the 175. So you're already assuming that Ben Askren right now as is, is already good enough to be champion. It's not so much an assumption, but from what Tyron has publicly said about Ben Askren and how good he is, I'm just going to go based off what the champ says. It's hard to judge Ben off of his fights because he's so dominant, but the people he fought aren't UFC caliber fighters. So, Or maybe they are. We just don't know. Maybe they're really good. We just haven't seen them in the UFC. He's a mystery. We don't know how good he is. Is he as good as he appears or is he not? You have to do a little bit of MMA math to try to discern how good Ben Askren is. If you look at his wins against Korshkov and Douglas Lima, you know they're good welterweights. But when you watch Lima's performance against Rory McDonald, you see this guy's legit. And he gave Rory a hard time, whereas Ben Askren just ragdolled him. And Korshkov is also another good welterweight, and he beat the fuck out of Ben Henderson. So it's one of those things where, okay, Ben Askren had his way with Korshkov. So just kind of distilling from those fights, you can't dismiss him as, well, he's fought low-level competition and he might not do well. I think he'll do extremely well in the UFC, but it's one of those things where now... Yeah, he's in a pool where every fight is dangerous. With that said, we got a lot of good fights coming up. And we have Ben Askren in the mix. And we might be losing the whole 125-pound UFC flyweight division, which means more super fights, which means Henry Cejudo will have to fight TJ Dillashaw. I think the fight I'm probably looking forward to the most is Holloway versus Ortega. And Shevchenko versus Yon Jacek. And that's that the next UFC pay-per-view, 231. So we have that to look forward to. So with that said, so long, everybody. Take care.